0: You're listening to Mr. Open Banking, the only podcast dedicated to exploring the open banking movement. Whether you're a financial expert, banking executive, or everyday consumer, open banking affects everyone and will change the way we interact with our money. I'm A.L. Savan, your host. This episode is brought to you by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years. When people first learn what open banking does, which is to say, enabling them to securely share their financial data, they often follow with a rather obvious, yet completely valid question. Is open banking something I can trust? That's what this episode is all about. Trust. How can we trust the data-sharing ecosystem upon which open banking is being built. To answer that, we first have to understand what a data-sharing ecosystem actually is, what it does, and who the actors are that make it go. We need to learn terms like authentication, authorization, and identity. And we need to understand how these work together. To put you... Control of your data. It may seem daunting at first, and the IT security part is indeed complex. But in fact, we count on ecosystems powered by trust every single day. Every time we download an app, or walk into a building, or buy something, we're counting on a network of participants to make sure that that transaction is one we can trust. Open banking is no exception. The data-sharing ecosystem it aims to put in place today will likely act as the foundation for consent-driven data sharing of all kinds. So getting it right is critical, not just for the short term, but to rightly steer the evolution of the Internet itself for decades to come. A good place to start is with a better understanding of how exactly trust operates in the open banking world. For that, we could not ask for a better teacher than today's guest. Ralph Bragg has been at the technical forefront of open banking initiatives around the globe. He is an internationally renowned expert in open banking technical standards and trust frameworks. In 2016, Ralph co-founded Radium, a company with a very unique specialization, creating the world's smartest, most trustworthy data-sharing ecosystems. As a pioneer of open banking security, he created the official security profiles used by both the UK and Brazil, and designed the trust framework and accreditation platforms that sit at the heart of both ecosystems. Representing Radium, Ralph is a vocal member of numerous consumer, fintech, and security advocacy and standards development bodies, including the OpenID Foundation and FData, where he is considered one of the foremost global experts on how to build
1: ecosystems we can trust. Ralph, thank you for joining us. Oh, Thank you very much for having me, EL, and it's a real pleasure to be here. Let's start at the beginning. What exactly is a data sharing ecosystem. A data sharing ecosystem, as we like to define it, consists of a number of participants that all have to come together to serve a particular role and to serve a particular function in order to enable data to be shared between holders of that data that are usually acting as custodians for owners of that data, people like you and me and potential service providers or data consumers that wish to build propositions to ultimately serve the benefits of consumers that is enabled and empowered by that data. So you have participants in the form
0: of data providers, data consumers, and they're exchanging data with the consent of the people that data belongs
1: to. Is that about right? That's 100% correct all of these participants all have a different view of what it is their data sharing ecosystem is. Banks, well, they've got a view of customers. They have a view of their customer and their customer relationship. But they've also now got this new entrant, these service providers that they need to interact with. Those service providers, from their point of view, need to be able to interact with a number of banks. And they also have their own relationships with their view of customers. Customers have got their own view of what their data sharing ecosystem is. They, for example, might have one bank or two banks or two providers of data, and they wish to share that information with one service provider or data consumer. Or they may wish to share that with multiple service providers or data consumers. Whoever is responsible for setting the rules of the technical standards and Deciding who is inside those data ecosystems has another view. So, the ecosystem controller has a different view of their data sharing ecosystem. They need to know who are the providers. They don't necessarily need to have a relationship with the bank's customer. They don't need to have a relationship with the service provider's customer. So, they again also have a different view of what a data sharing ecosystem is. And fundamentally, recognizing that all of those different views. And all of those participants all have slightly different needs, and all of those needs need to be addressed in order for this ecosystem to function, is what Radium does. Fundamentally, we work for everyone to make sure that that data sharing ecosystem can be built and can flourish and grow. Why is trust in these ecosystems so important? Without trust, nothing happens. Trust is vital. For all of the services and interactions that we have on a day to day basis. Whenever you log into your bank, you have trust. You're trusting that your bank is going to do the right thing. Your bank is needing to codify and put in appropriate mechanisms for you to be able to assert who you are. They have trust that they're dealing with the right person. Trust is critical to any data sharing ecosystem. Trust and setting out trust relationships provide certainty. And also allows us to gain trust that the information that we're sharing can be relied upon. So, fundamentally, codifying trust or creating a trust framework that codifies all of the sets of technology standards, rules, and protocols is absolutely vital so that everyone knows how they interact with other participants in a trusted, harmonious way. Let's try and break
0: down the problem by defining some of these terms. What exactly
1: is a trust framework? A trust framework fundamentally is a set of technologies, standards, rules, protocols, and services that are there to ultimately enable trusted, secure relationships. And that trust framework is a critical part of any data sharing ecosystem. When you download an app From the App Store, you have trust in the App Store. You are interacting with services that require secure communication, encryption, confidentiality, message integrity. So you are relying on a trust framework. And the same applies when you're engaging with open banking. The trust framework that exists at the core of any data sharing ecosystem, no matter how wide and no matter how many participants needs to underpin The relationships and integrity of those relationships so that an ecosystem can thrive. What is a trust authority?
0: Is that the same as the controller role you described earlier?
1: Not necessarily. A controller role is a trust authority, but that trust authority can also be responsible for enabling other. Trust authorities to partake in an ecosystem. Or it could be responsible for reflecting information or attributes that it is fundamentally not responsible for, but is necessary information that needs to be relied on for other participants to have trust in each other. For example, in the UK, the Open Banking Implementation Entity is a technical controller of an ecosystem. But it is not the regulatory authority. It is not the trust authority for banks. And it is not the trust authority for fintechs. That is the role of the Financial Conduct Authority. And the FCA's authority is essentially to say, this institution is a bank. This institution is a fintech. And that information is absolutely vital for banks to know who is to be trusted and to perform what functions. And also to enable fintechs to be able to accurately identify and find that a participant they're talking to is an authorized bank. That is a trust authority. The open banking implementation entity simply is responsible for reflecting that information technically and assuming that responsibility for making that information available easily for participants to consume and rely on. In some markets, The trust authority is the ecosystem controller. As part of their authorization and authority process, they technically control and technically enable a data sharing ecosystem. In others, it's not. A service provider that is an ecosystem controller steps in to fill that gap. Let me play devil's advocate. Why do you need a
0: central trust authority anyway? Can't you just let in? whomever wants
1: in? That's an absolutely fantastic question. If you think about it, fundamentally there is nothing stopping a consumer from printing out all of their digital information on their printer at home and handing it to anyone that they like. So an argument could be made. Why can't I simply just do that anyway? I'm with anyone at any time. One of the things a trust framework does do, though, is that if there is a central authority, that authority can really offer a significant degree of protection. For example, if somebody came up to you and said, can you please share your data with me? How do you know who you're sharing it with? Are they the legitimate provider? Are they really representing who they say they were representing? So even in a very light trust framework environment there are certain elements that need to be solved the foundational elements of making sure the consumers know who they are actually sharing their data with that they know if something does go wrong what are my recourses making sure that they have a clear understanding of the environment in which they're playing in offers them the opportunity to consider whether or not they do wish to engage with these participants.
0: A data-sharing ecosystem, a term which may seem bewildering at first, is nothing more than a network of participants who want to share data in a way they can all trust. For that, they need a trust framework. Some of them want to provide data, while others want to receive data. Managing all these interactions is the trust authority, whose job it is to identify the participants and to set the rules that they play by. The more technical alter ego of the trust authority is the ecosystem controller, who helps make sure the rules are being followed. These rules... And the standards and protocols, which express them in code, form the basis for trust in the ecosystem, such that the participants can feel safe sharing their data. Now that we have a general understanding of what a data sharing ecosystem actually is, let's go one step deeper and start to explore what it does. Let's get a little more technical. There are many terms in the realm of IT security, data sharing security, that are often confused. So let's try and demystify some of these terms. Let's start with identity. What exactly is identity in the context of a trust framework?
1: Identity or an identifier, is something where a participant within a trust framework is claiming to be. They are claiming to be an identity. And an identity could be anything. An identity could be a name. An identity could be a legal person. It is something that should be recognizable or needs to be recognized by the person receiving that claim of identity. What about authentication? Authentication in the context of a trust framework is the act of the presentee of that identity validating with the presenter that they are who they say they are. The other one that starts with an auth,
0: often confused with authentication, is authorization. How would you
1: define that? Authorization is the process of granting access to information or services or resources that one provider in a trust framework is going to share with a consumer. A good analogy for all three of these together is an access card you are issued with when you walk into a building. When you, as an individual, Walk into a building and you ask for access. For example, you say, I have a meeting on the 10th floor. Someone is going to ask you to firstly identify yourself. Who are you? And you're going to give them an identity. The next phase is someone's going to say, Authenticate. You have to prove that that identity is you. And you can usually do this in a variety of ways. Here's a driver's license, here's a passport. And that opens up a rather interesting set of questions. How do I know that that authentication mechanism is valid? How do I know that it can be trusted? Is it a good enough authentication mechanism? Well, that depends on the next part of your question. Authorization. What are you here to do, sir? Oh, I need to get into your server room. Oh, so you would like me to give you a pass that gives you authorization into our server room. Well, I'm not going to do that off the back of a driver's license. I might look at different mechanisms a way I can authenticate who you are to prove your identity before I give you an authorization to be able to access our server rooms. When you are finally issued with that authorization, that pass, that token from the front desk, that token can mean different things. That token needs to convey your authorization because it needs to be able to let you in to do whatever it is that you've asked to do, attend a meeting, access a server room. That token could also be a way of you confirming your identity. That token or that pass from the front desk could have your name and all your photo which allows you to confirm to anybody that then asks, or well, when you get to the server room, when you hold it up to a security camera, you have a mechanism to prove that you have been identified, you have been authenticated. And when you hold that pass to the door scanner to be let into a door, the security system has all the information to be able to read that pass, to be able to see if you are authorized to be let into that room or not. But, of course, with open
0: banking, we are not physically in a building. We're talking about a digital data sharing ecosystem, which leads us to a fourth concept. And that is consent. A word you hear a lot about in open banking circles. How would you define consent in the context
1: of a trust framework? Extending on this analogy, I'm at the front desk and I want access to the 10th floor of a building, but it's not my office. It's the chairman's office. What is the process that we would need to go to for the front desk to issue me a security badge that would give me access to the chairman's office? Well, you would need the consent of the chairman. You would need a way of presenting a statement from the chairman that could be authenticated, validated, confirmed as legitimate, and the details of that statement containing enough information so that the person at the front desk feels confident, feels safe, feels protected, and knows 100% that the chairman does want you to let them into the office. That act of consent and that consent process is the means by which you, as an individual try to access something, a resource, an API, an office, a data center, that isn't owned by you, but is owned by someone else, That act of consent and that consent capturing process is the part by which the chairman, the API owner, the bank account holder codifies and gives to you the ability to be able to be granted access to that resource. That is what that act of consent does. Is this the
0: big leap? that open banking has introduced to APIs, this idea
1: of consent-based data sharing? Consent-based data sharing has been around for a very long time. It isn't new. Even before the world of APIs, consent has always been there. It's just been implicit, not explicit. In the worlds of screen scraping, when a service provider says to you give me your username and password and i promise to provide you with great insights over your data from the consumer's point of view they are giving consent for that access but they're giving that consent to someone that's going to impersonate being you they are going to pretend to be you when they walk up to that front desk and they're going to take that username and password all those Credentials and they're going to impersonate you. What open banking has done is allowed and enabled a way for consent to be codified and captured so that you can choose as a consumer whom you give that access to, to do so in a way that doesn't require them to impersonate you, and crucially, gives you a way to codify and restrict and bound that consent to just what you want them to have access to. So instead of them rocking up to a building and saying, hi, I am the chairman of the board. Let me into everything because the chairman of the board has given away his username and password. Instead, a IT worker can come to the front desk and say, I need access for me as an IT worker. Here is my name. I authenticate myself. And here is a letter granting me consent. And I need access to just the data center. I don't need access to every built room in the building. I don't need access to be able to go into the chairman's office. I just need access to this one particular room. That is what open banking. And these open ecosystems really fundamentally try to do. They try to empower consumers with the possibility of sharing their data and sharing their information, but only what they want to share, not everything.
0: So in open banking, when I grant some fintech app permission to go and retrieve my data from my bank, I am. Granting them consent so that they don't have to
1: impersonate me, right? Fundamentally, that is correct. However, I'm going to call out a couple of key distinctions. When you engage with a fintech, you grant that fintech consent to do something for something. And I'm going to use the analogy of online shopping. I consent for you to take from my bank 472 pounds. In exchange for a flat screen television, this year's model, and you've committed that it will be delivered to my door tomorrow. That is the act of consent. That is the act of me as a consumer talking to a fintech to consent to that value exchange. When the fintech sends me to my bank, that is an act of authorization. And let's think about what the bank needs to know. Does the bank need to know that I'm buying a television? No. Does the bank need to know when my television is arriving? No. All the bank needs to know is that you are consenting for this fintech to make an API call that will execute a bank payment to transfer the correct amount of money from this account to that account. And you grant authorization for that bank to issue a token for that to occur. You, as a consumer, then take that token back to that fintech and you say, Here, here is the token. That token will allow you to initiate that bank transfer for the sum of money. And that is the end of the journey. Each party has the mechanism to identify each other, to authenticate each other, to convey a mechanism of authorization, whilst ensuring that only the minimal amount of information needs to be exchanged between those parties for that interaction to take place.
0: Are you who you say you are? Are you allowed to do what you want to do? If you're doing it for someone else, do you have their consent? These are the kinds of questions that open banking had to answer, in order to build a working system that people could trust. Thanks to Ralph and other pioneers, they have largely been answered. Today, there are proven scalable mechanisms for defining someone's identity, what they are entitled to do, and on whose behalf they are allowed to act. Putting consumers back in the driver's seat. And best of all, All these mechanisms, like digital certificates and public key infrastructure, are based on open standards. Standards that no one owns, but anyone can use. There is no longer a need to impersonate other people's identity, or to worry about granting consent, or to give away access to all your information at once. In the world of open banking, data is only shared if it needs to be shared. The other thing you hear a lot about in security circles is certificates. What role do certificates play in these
1: interactions you're describing? Certificates, love them or hate them, have been around for a very long time and perform multiple functions within A data sharing ecosystem because they can be used for both the act of identification and the act of authentication and a means to sign a document or a message that can be used for authorization. Which all together can be combined to
0: capture a consent. Absolutely. How do the participants in the ecosystem get these? certificates.
1: Is that where the trust authority comes in? In the United Kingdom, the Open Banking Implementation Entity, as part of its services to participants, can issue digital certificates. That is a tremendous advantage for these ecosystems because it provides a one-stop shop for participants to be able to enroll in an ecosystem, set up all of their identities, and then create the technical means for those identities to interact within an ecosystem. Other markets, they operate in different ways. For example, you may have to enroll in the ecosystem, but then go to an external certificate authority, reprove your identity, and then be reissued with a different set of certificates. When you have multiple certificate authorities operating inside an ecosystem, it does add additional layers of complexity. For example, when I want to prove that I am who I am, will you accept my driver's license? But I am both uh, an Australian and British citizen. Will you accept my Australian driver's license? Will you accept my British driver's license? And in very large fragmented environments, Where there are multiple certificate authorities, every participant within that ecosystem has to trust every potential issuer of certificates in order for the ecosystem to function. It sounds like
0: the trust authority, also acting as a certificate authority, holds something like a directory of all the trusted
1: participants in the ecosystem. Is that about right? That's about right. A certificate fundamentally is used to provide identity. But it could also carry other information in it as well. Authorizations. It could have, you are authorized to be a payments provider. You are authorized to be an account information provider.
0: This all sounds like it's related to another big part of open banking, and that is accreditation. Tell us about the accreditation process
1: and how it's related to these certificates. Accrediting participants to engage in a trust framework or data sharing ecosystem means different things at different points in time, depending on whether or not you're talking about permission to engage in a function, i.e. you are authorized or accredited to be a bank, you are accredited to be a fintech. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be good citizens inside a data sharing ecosystem. And so in most of these markets, there is another layer of accreditation or technical accreditation, which is performed to ensure that that participant knows how to interact inside a data sharing ecosystem for the roles that it is authorized or accredited to perform. And in most markets, they are a very distinct concerns.
0: The models used for the trust framework can vary from one region to another. You've written about different models, such as the super aggregator model and the federated model. Can you give us an idea
1: of the differences between those two? In an aggregator model, All of the information funnels through, funny enough, an aggregator, a central authority. So think of it like a hub and spoke. It might sound simpler, but it has a lot of drawbacks. For one, if you wish to change anything, you're constrained because all of your information must flow through a central source. Your ability to innovate and grow and develop is constrained by how fast that central source can cater and evolve and fundamentally all of the other spokes in that hub and spoke model can move. In a federated model, in an open banking model, in an open X model, the relationships and the data exchange happens between a data provider and a data consumer directly. So if that data provider and data consumer come up with a great new idea or a new business proposition or something that they could do differently than anybody else, they can. Because that relationship is direct. Some people propose that a data aggregator model might be quicker, it might be cheaper. And in some cases, they're right. If you have a very specific use case and you know exactly what you're supposed to be enabling, sure, get a super aggregator to go and do it. But if you're trying to enable a world of possibilities where you might have some initial use cases, but you're looking for genuine innovation, you're looking for participants to see opportunities to evolve the services they provide outside of that initial use case, then the only way to operate is to enable a federated ecosystem. Analogy I always use is the internet. The Internet is a federated network. It's a network of providers, and it's a network of consumers you, me, all these different service providers, and they all work on the same principle. You have discovery services that say, "Hey, these are all of these organizations out there Google, Facebook, Amazon take your pick." This is a mechanism which you can use to discover all those different providers out there. You type in Amazon, it just works something is telling you hey you want to talk to amazon amazon servers over there there is a digital certificate that sits in front of that that allows you as a consumer to say yeah i am really talking to amazon what you then do with amazon or what you do with google that's between you and amazon and you and google and you two are free to innovate that relationship however you see fit
0: so you can have your cake and eat it too a federated model that supports point-to-point connections, but still governed by a central trust
1: authority. You are absolutely 100% correct. And that is the world and the model that Radium believes in. We believe fundamentally and passionately that these models and these ecosystems can be created, can be governed, but can still have that room for innovation, growth, and development. It is very much possible to have your cake and eat it too. I want to be clear. What you're describing is not
0: hypothetical or science fiction. This is what you've actually built for the UK, for Brazil, and what is being built elsewhere.
1: You're absolutely right. This is available now and is being done now. Federated networks are being created that enable these worlds of possibility all over the place. The UK, Brazil, twice, Australia, twice, and now also inside large corporations. This recognition of the power of relationships and consumers that can have easy access to their data and the potential that that unlocks is being embraced in boardrooms all around the world. And it's no longer a question of, Can this be done? It's no longer really a question of how do you do it? That's all gone. Those challenges of how do we make these things work? That's the real gift that the UK gave to the rest of the world. It puzzled out those challenges, it designed and experimented until it got it right. But those patterns and those services and those models have now been proven at scale and they can be implemented exceptionally quickly. What took the UK five, six years to do, Brazil did in 12 months. And open insurance in Brazil was done in six weeks. So people are no longer spending their time working at how do I make this possibility? Now everyone just concentrates on what they want to do with their ecosystem, not how do they get one going. Open banking, open finance, in the
0: form of things like open insurance. Brazil. You mentioned OpenX. Some say open data.
1: Open everything. Is that where we're headed? Potentially. But that still requires providers and consumers and people to have a vision about what they want to do with their ecosystems. And we are starting to see networks, emerge to solve problems that we never really imagined when we first started this whole journey. And I think that is ultimately where we are headed. People will be able to gain insights into their digital footprints and extract value from information that's been locked up and inaccessible to them. Insights as to what they do, what they have done, they could potentially use to influence all sorts of decisions about what they do in the future. I do believe that is the path that we are on and it's certainly the path that I'm trying to walk. Ralph, where
0: can our guests find out more about you and your work at Radium?
1: You can find out more about what we're doing on our website, on LinkedIn, and just by sending us an email. We're always interested to hear what the possibilities are that you might want to create. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me.
0: goes without saying that trust is fundamental to the very concept of banking. Trust is what makes the whole idea work. You put your money with the bank because you trust them to take care of it, and the bank only lends you money if they can trust you in return. As we move into the digital age, money has become data. A special kind of data to be sure but at the end of the day an entry in a database just like all the other bits and bytes that form our digital lives suddenly as they struggle through their own digital transformations banks who thought they were in the business of managing money are realizing that in fact they are in the business of managing trust to succeed they must be custodians of all their customers' data, not just that special kind of data known as money. Open banking calls this transition into stark relief. By standardizing how data can be safely shared across the financial ecosystem and often regulating such sharing, it opens up a world of possibilities for consumers to leverage their data in exciting new ways, placing the imperative on banks to make those possibilities real. To those who wonder, who watches the watchman? In open banking, every document is digitally signed, every transaction traceable, every consent captured, so that rather than our data being controlled by hoarders and gatekeepers, We can take that control back for ourselves. Thanks to well-defined trust frameworks and the open standards that drive them, we can finally begin to build an internet we can all trust. Thanks for listening to Mr. Open Banking, the podcast that explores the ongoing evolution of open banking and its impact on our lives. Make no mistake, the rise of open banking is going to change financial services forever, and we will be covering that story every step of the way. This is your host, A.L. Saban. Until next time. This episode was made possible by Axway, leaders in enterprise integration for over 20 years, and creators of the Amplify platform. To learn more, visit axway.com.